Now, it's time for the NSCAA podcast with Dean Linky. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Hello, buddy. I'm Dean Linky. Delighted to be with you for the 20th edition of the NSCA podcast, the first 16 college soccer style, the last four convention focused. And what a great way to kick off this week's show as we get you set for all things convention in Los Angeles. And we do that off the top with Lynn Burling Manuel, the fantastic CEO of the NSCAA. You'll enjoy my visit with Lynn. From there, we talk to Amanda Vandervoort, the outgoing president of the NSCAA, a big timer with Major League Soccer, full of energy. Always fun to hang out with Amanda. After Amanda, it's Tony DeChico. He is down with a medical illness, so he can't make it to L.A. This is his way to share his thoughts on all topics, especially his future, the future of the U.S. women's national team, college soccer, you name it. Tony DeChico will tackle it. From there, Ralph Polson, former president of the NSCAA, head coach at Wofford College Men's Soccer, one of the all-around good guys he is on. And then Christian Lavers, the president of the East. CNL. So much talk right now as U.S. Soccer starts a development academy for girls soccer. ECNL still there. He breaks down the tough questions as well. He'll have a big panel talking about development at the girls level as well at the convention. You won't want to miss it. You won't want to miss the show. But we start with Lynn Burling Manuel, the CEO of the NSCAA. And we start after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. And we kick off the final edition of the NSCAA Quote Convention podcast with the CEO of the NSCAA, the first female CEO ever. What an impact she's made for women in sports, women in soccer. Talking about my good friend, Lynn Berlin manuel Lynn, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks, Dean, for having me this morning. We're real excited about everything going on in the convention opening this week. So great to talk to you. Well, that's exactly why we want you to kick off, because we're going to consider you the bell ringer. This is the official bell ringing of the NSCA convention. I know you're super excited. It's going to be great in Los Angeles, Lynn. Well, it is. Um, as uh, many of your listeners know, this is our first time back to the West in 22 years. Uh, but the welcome that we've had has been tremendous. Uh, we have a completely sold out exhibit hall. We expect to have record attendance. Um, the buzz is large. The program itself is, is pretty amazing, actually. Um, I, we couldn't have almost asked for anything better, so we're very excited about the whole process getting underway. All right, Jeff Van Dusen's been on, Ian Barker's been on, some of the premier featured speakers have been on as well. Pretty impressive lineup, Lynn. It is. You know, it ranges from, you know, a college coach uh, like an Anson Dorrance, who's really the top of the game, to our international coaches, you know, Emma Hayes, the head coach for Chelsea Women, and so many others, uh, really from every level of the game. And I think that's what the NSCAA does so well. We serve all levels of coaches, and that's really rare. Uh, Most coaches associations either serve professional or high school or college um, the NSCAA really serves them all. So this program is really reflective of that. We wanted everything from top international coaches. Um, we have Bruce Arena and Siggy Schmidt, who are doing a session together from MLS and now the U.S. national team. Jurgen Klinsmann, who accepted to be a, to be a speaker while he was still national coach. Uh, and we actually gave him the chance to step away when he, when he, was, uh, when he exited as national coach. And he really chose to stay. So his, he's still in the program. Um, there's just so much. High school sessions, youth sessions, professional sessions, college sessions. There's really something for everybody. It's pretty exciting. Also pretty exciting is your path. You were a huge part of Soccer America for so many years with your dad as well. And Soccer America, for people like me, continues to be the Bible. Talk about your time at Soccer America, Lynn. Pretty special times. Well, it was a pretty special time. It was one of those opportunities in your career that just are uh, uh, serendipitous in some ways, but also extremely fortunate. And um, I was there for over 20 years. 
And I really started as a young sports writer and editor there for Soccer America, but really in the end was CEO for almost 15, 16 years. Soccer America, you know, not dissimilar to the NSCAA, was really um, a, an entity that brought everybody together. And it was an incredible opportunity for me from a, from a journalistic perspective, from a business perspective of actually getting to see our sport grow and evolve over a long period of time. I, I couldn't have asked for a better foundation. I have yeah, kept the Soccer America editorial staff as my friends and confidants for all these years and, and admire them tremendously. What they do today on a daily basis is, is just sort of astounding. And they are my link in many ways. I, I expect Soccer America Daily every morning to tell me exactly what's going to go on in the world of soccer that day and the day before and the day to come. So, you know, as an experience in the past, it was fantastic, but Soccer America is fantastic every day. You and me both on Soccer America. Then looking to make a change, you spent eight years as the chief marketing officer for the American Youth Soccer Organization. Talk about your time with AYSO. That was a tremendous experience. It was sort of an unexpected experience. I really didn't have a background in youth soccer. With Soccer America, I had been a part of covering, you know, the international game, the professional college, very high-level youth, where AYSO is really – it's a very large soccer organization, almost a half a million children nationwide, but it is a grassroots organization in general – um, but you know what it did? It gave me really um, a wonderful picture of the heartbeat of American soccer. This is where all kids begin, and, and certainly many go on to much higher, and AYSO offers much higher levels. But it's bread and butter is the grassroots of our country's soccer experience across, across the land. And um, as a CMO, I got the opportunity to really think about very carefully how does uh, grassroots soccer work? How does recreational soccer work? How do we communicate it well? How do we take advantage of it? How do we help families have a terrific experience? So in many ways, my AYSO days, which I will always remember very fondly, rounded out my soccer experience. With Soccer America, I had dealt with a high level for a long, long time, which I thoroughly enjoyed. With AYSO, I really dealt with the day-to-day -day where are soccer families and soccer kids today. And that combination gave me a very unique perspective, I think, on the game and the game in this country and the game in the world. And I hope that that combination really helped me to um, be better at what I'm doing today with the NSCAA. Well, and during your time, first with Soccer America, but especially with AYSO, you were involved heavily with the NSCAA, longtime member of their board. And I think that experience really paid huge dividends when you decided, hey, I'm going to throw my name in the hat for the CEO. I'm right about that, aren't I, Lynn? You are. Um, it was actually, I mean, the NSCAA had tremendous impact on my career. And I'm not a coach. So, I mean, that's sort of perhaps a surprising story, but... Very early in my career, I went to my first convention as a young editor, and it was an amazing experience. It really was. It was, um, I got to see how what I did was part of something bigger. Um, it's a very welcoming and collegial environment, and it's a very welcoming and collegial organization. So kind of whatever your place is in the game, however you are connected, the NSCAA is very welcoming. And that's true 40 years ago for me as much as it is today. So I'm very proud of that history, but also as a soccer business person with with Soccer America and then with AYSO, um, we certainly were felt the convention was very important to us. Um, I was um, invited to join the board as an outside director. Um, I was on the board for almost nine years, and what they were seeking was actually a soccer business person to complement the um, the coaching expertise on the board. So, yeah, I really got to see the organization kind of uh, its inner workings a little bit more, its business side, and um, and I hope was a good contributor, both from a business perspective, a marketing perspective, and helping the organization evolve, you know, low a few more steps. Um, for me and and my role now as CEO, it was it was unbelievably useful. Um, but I will tell you, and I've told our board and I've told other soccer boards that making the move from soccer governance of being on a board to being on staff is still very surprising. I learned so much when I 
came on staff for the NSCAA of what I didn't know. And what was surprising, and I think that's true for every soccer organization, boards and administrators tend to think they really kind of know um, how everything works. And until you're on the inside, you, you really don't. There's so much still to learn. Taking over as CEO on July 1, 2015, the first woman yeah. CEO, Lynn. And what does that mean to you, the first female CEO? Well, I, I'm certainly honored to, to have that role. And um, um, I'm actually speaking this week at a, at a program that's being held the day prior to our convention called Women in Soccer. And, and I'll be talking a little bit about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't hired, I believe very strongly, I wasn't hired because I was a woman. It was a very competitive field for this position. And um, the thing about the NFCAA that I think has been really important through many, many years is it has been a very diverse and accepting organization. It's very inclusive. And at the end of the day, it judges on merit, not on gender or ethnicity or age or any of the other factors. It really makes its decisions on merit. Um, I'm proud, frankly, to be the first woman in this role, but really not because of anything I have done. I'm simply proud because I think it says a lot about where women in sports have come to that we are um, that we are judged on our merit and we are judged on our capabilities and our gender is neither a big asset nor a big liability. And um, for that, I, I feel really good about what we're doing. I love that answer. And you've been doing some great things and you'll be doing more great things going forward. As part of this podcast, can you name one or two or, or three key initiatives that you want to get going with the NSCA moving forward, Lynn? Well, we're in the middle of, uh, or frankly, the late stages of a strategic plan about how we go forward. And some major initiatives for us have been um, a pretty deep investment in technology. And it really is all about being able to provide better service to our members. Service, to me, is one of the critical aspects of our future. Um, uh, We really are uh, positioning ourselves around three key areas that we want to deliver to coaches. One of those is advocacy. Um, Our coaches want a voice at the table. When soccer decisions are made, coaches need to be at the table. We're the association that help represents that position, whether it's with U.S. soccer, the NCAA. Dean, you know, but your listeners may not. We have a full-time lobbyist representative with the NCAA who represents our college coaches. Um, We spend a lot of time in conversation with U.S. soccer, with U.S. youth soccer, with U.S. club soccer, with all the organizations that impact coaches. Advocacy is very important to us. Education. We see a lot of uh, expansion of our educational initiatives. Um, everybody and their brother is doing coaching education today, to be very honest with you. It used to be the NSCAA and U.S. soccer. Today, every professional team, international federation, company, individual has some sort of coaching education initiative. Uh, we want to be good curators of that content and make sure that we are helping coaches find their way through what is best for learning the game and learning how to play with, to work with players and learning how to build your career. Um, Career development is a big part of our initiatives going forward, helping coaches to be better at their career. Um, And, and the flip side of that, we also want coaches who are not looking at this as a job, but as an avocation that they, that we assist them in having the best experience possible on this coaching journey. So we're really looking at ways to create a more horizontal education with more opportunities beyond the X's and O's for both the novice coach and the very experienced coach. And, and finally, uh, service is a really big part of us. The, uh, one of the highlights of the convention this year is called the Membership Pavilion. And it's really a reflection of an entirely new member services department that we have that's really designed to help our members get done what they want to get done. And whether it's, uh, you know, it's working its way through the organization, the association itself, or it is, it is finding um, resources outside the association. Membership services is really there to provide that, you know, sort of wow level of service. So those are the three areas that are key to us right now, advocacy, education, and service. Lynn Berling Manuel, a dynamic leader, a dynamic woman. Speaking of dynamic women and leaders, Amanda Vandervoort 
a great run as president of the NSCAA. She's coming up next, Lynn. I know you've been very fond of her work as president of the NSCAA. Well, it was exciting to have my tenure as CEO coincide with Amanda's tenure as president. I met Amanda over 15 years ago as a young coach at NYU. Uh, she was the uh, uh, head women's coach at New York University and. Um, she was bright and capable and actually coming up through the digital side of our game in addition to being a coach. Today, she's a top executive at MLS um, in digital and, um, and has had an amazing experience. She's incredibly innovative. She has, you know, had no fear in trying to really look at our organization in a new way. And it has been kind of, it's been truly a thrilling experience to work with her. And I look forward to our next president, who is Charlie Slagle. Our presidents uh, serve a one-year term as part of six years on the board of directors from the time they are elected coming in. It gives them a period of a number of years to learn the organization. And then they have one year as president. It's an unusual governance structure but it's a governance structure that makes sure there's good continuity. So Amanda has been a, a huge asset to the organization. She will now serve a year as past president. And I know her year as past president will also be a, a very active one for her. And, uh, and again, she's been great and to work with and has been very innovative in how she looks at our organization. We'll get to know Amanda, our next guest here on the NSCAA Convention Podcast. And, Lynn, this is 20 podcasts in a row. We've talked to over 120 coaches and leaders in soccer. It's been pretty fantastic. Well, Dean, thank you very much for hosting our podcast. You've done a terrific job, and we look forward to the podcast going into the future. And uh, it's been really fun doing it around the convention as well. So thanks very much, Dean, and I look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles. What a great start to the 20th edition of the NSCA podcast, Lynn Berlin Manuel, the CEO of the NSCAA. Amanda Vandevort is next. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. Welcome back to the NSCAA podcast. Delighted to open up with the CEO of the NSCAA Lynn Berlin Manuel, and did she do a great job talking about the vision, the innovation of the current president, Amanda Vandervoort? Indeed, she did. And Amanda Vandervoort joins me now. Amanda, thanks for being with us. Uh, Dean, thanks for having me. Listen, Lynn said some nice things about you. You okay with that? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I reflect them back at Lynn. She is a tremendous CEO for the NSCIA, and we are so thankful to have her leading this association. It's got to be an emotional time for you in Los Angeles. Your presidency is up. Talk about reflecting on your year as president, Amanda. Yeah, wow. It is It is pretty crazy to be you know, in L.A. It's the first time we've had the convention here in, in over 20 years, and, and the excitement, the energy for, for the NSCIA convention this year is, is at an all-time high. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And to reflect back on the last year and, and all the work that the, the national office staff and the board and, and all of our volunteers have put into making this event something really special is is uh, it's, it's just incredible to be a part of. You were really instrumental in kind of innovation. In fact, uh, you know, you've always been about innovation and pushing forward. I think you've been able to have an indelible really imprint on innovation with the NSCAA. What are your thoughts on that, Amanda? Thanks. Well, you know, I can remember 2008, I think it was, I was in, I was chairing the women's committee and, and we got together and uh, North Carolina, um, it was the women's uh, final four down there in North Carolina. We all got in a room and talked about, you know, what's the future of, of the, the women's group within the NSCAA? What does the future of the NSCAA look like? And I remember in that meeting, um, a woman who's been very dear to me for many years, Sue Ryan, um, said, something about innovation, something about how important innovation was and, and, and that, you know, we, we should always, always be innovating. Um, and I remember writing that down on uh, a coaster in the room. I remember always, I wrote, always be innovating. And I've held that really close in everything that I do. So when I'm thinking about, you know, work in my professional life, when I'm thinking about what we're doing in the NSCIA, how are we bringing new technologies, bringing new platforms, bringing new educational opportunities, to the members so that 
so that we're always on the leading edge and providing a new modern experience for coaches in, in today's world. I love that. If you go to AmandaVandervoort.com, right underneath her name, it says, <laughs> always be innovating as well. You're doing that same thing as Vice President of CRM and Social Media at Major League Soccer. I mean, Amanda, you're such a always you know bright-eyed and big smile, but you love your job, don't you? Talk about your job at MLS. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm lucky to be in the position I am at, at MLS and the NSCAA. I, I get to experience one-on-one conversations with fans and and with members all the time. And you know, what drives me in in soccer is the growth of the game. It's um, the ability to feature and highlight uh, people and players and and coaches and and you know all of us who are involved in the game every single day there's there's so many people who put their heart and soul in into soccer and into MLS into the NWSL into the NSCIA and and all of the leagues and and teams and clubs that are a part of it so whether it's in my professional work at at MLS or or my volunteer roles with the NSCIA and and so forth like I'm just so passionate about building this game and I'm so thankful for the community of people that want to build it with me Got to hand the gavel over to Charlie Slago. Will that be emotional, Amanda? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I'm. It's a little bittersweet. I mean, Charlie's fantastic. He is going to be a tremendous leader for this association, and and we're so fortunate to have him um, taking the taking the role. For me, it's it's yeah, it's bittersweet. It's. I feel like I have more to give. I feel like I have a lot more to give to this game. Um, in the last year with the NSCAA, we've restructured. I've managed a, a total governance restructure uh, along with my fellow board members, and and I feel like I've learned so much about governance and 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 organizational management that that I think um, hopefully I'll be able to apply in other areas in the future. You know, and and yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could continue to build, but hopefully, what we've done in the last year and last six years since I've been on the board really is is build a foundation for future gener- generations and. I have no doubt that, you know, when you look at Charlie and then Leslie Gallimore and then all of the other board members to come, I have no doubt that that the association is in tremendous hands. Final question. The NSCAA means what to Amanda Vandervoort? The NSCAA, to me, um, I think it means probably the first word that comes to mind is friendship. You know, as I've come to the end of my presidency, I've never felt more of like more like a, a member, just a, a general member than, than I do today. I've been, this is my 15th convention and I've been, um, I've been in a leadership role for a really long time with the association. So now that the end of my presidency is, is coming, I'm, I'm reflecting on all of the people I've met along the way and all of the events I've attended and um, just friendships I've built. And, and I'm so excited to be able to, to grow now with kind of this, this, um, new generation of, of coaches and people in the game um, and, and the NSCIA. Amanda, do me a favor, soak it all in, enjoy it, because mm-hmm. here's why you deserve it. You know, you deserve uh, the praise and and really all of us bow down to you. We salute the work you've done and the work that you're going to continue to do. You promise me you'll enjoy it? <laughs> I will. I promise, Dean. I promise. I'm excited to see you. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. I want to thank Lynn Berlin-Manuel, the CEO of the NSCAA, and Amanda Vandervoort, the outgoing president of the NSCAA. When you think NSCAA, when you think U.S. Women's World Cup TV personality, big-time coach, you think Tony DeChico, and what a great way to continue on the NSCAA podcast. Although, some sad news, because for the first time, short of one time while he was the head coach of the U.S. national team, he is not going to be able to attend the convention in L.A. Tony, sorry to hear that, but you're not feeling well, right? Yeah, Dean, I'm a little bit under the weather here, so uh, big, big disappointment, because I know it's going to be a great 
convention, especially out on the West Coast. The NSCA doesn't get to very often, um, but unfortunately, I'm home. Well, listen, uh, it's a long way to go, and you got to take care of yourself, so we're going to wish you well, but we're still going to talk a little bit about the convention, because as we said, this is only the second time you've missed. It's a, it's a pretty big deal, Tony. Why do you always, I mean, you, you get stuck in. I mean, you are part of a lot of sessions and always have been. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the convention is, if, you, if you're into the sport and uh, you, you love the game and you want to learn, the convention has got to be a yearly destination. And not everybody can do it because of finances and work and everything, but if you have the means and have the time off, you can't miss it because there's just too much going on in the sport. There's too many great sessions you learn from. It's a great way to network. And for me, being... You know, a little older, I'm not looking to network as much as meeting old friends, watching some great sessions and and still learning from those sessions and uh, just being a part of really one of the epitomes of our sport. Well, people are drawn to you as well because you're the first person to pull off the triple. You won the Olympics, you won the full World Cup, and you won the U-20 World Cup. Now that has since been matched, but uh, talk about winning that triple. Pretty special accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it was phenomenal. You know the team that I had in the 90s with Mia Hamm, Christine Lilly, Michelle Akers, Julie Foudy, and the, the, line, the list goes on and on and on, was was a dream team. You know, I never had a disciplinary issue. Uh, these players, they came to play every training session. They played to win, and they accomplished so much. But equal to me was that 2008 U-20 World Cup in that group of Alex Morgan, Sidney LaRue, Megan Klingenberg, Alyssa Nair, um, Kelly O'Hara was with, with the team for quite a long of that stretch uh, because I think the challenge is to bring that team along and then go to the World Cup in Chile and dominate, and we did, um, was a fantastic uh, experience for me and I think for the players. All right, Tony, I like uh, how you dropped that in, no disciplinary issues, because um, there's been a few the last uh, year or so with the U.S. Women's World Cup team. And, you know, how how would you have handled some of those situations, Coach? Well, you, you don't know. Uh, what I used to tell my team is that everybody will be treated fairly, but not everybody will be treated the same. You know, and so every every person in every situation is handled a little bit differently. But I always use the team culture as the guiding light. And, and our team culture back then, not, not drastically different than this current national team's team culture, was train hard, find a way to win, support each other, have fun. That was a big part of it. Um, but fit into the culture of the team, meaning that fitness matters, um, behavior matters, and so forth and so on. So I honestly believe that if I was the head coach, players would have had to fit into that culture or would have kind of weeded themselves out. One of the things I love about your role now is you continue to coach, you continue to be a television personality, and you've always been outspoken. And you also said, hey, I want to coach the U.S. team again. You know, Bruce Arena's doing it again now, and obviously that didn't work out. They gave it to Jill Ellis. You talked about the fact that maybe that wasn't the right move, but then you said, hey, you know what? She did a great job. So you're able to circle back and acknowledge the job she did. Let's go back to that original disappointment, though, of not getting the job. I remember seeing you, Tony. You were bummed, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but the last four times the position has been open, I've been a finalist for the position. And that goes back to 2004 um, and uh, when, when, when Ryan got it. Um, and then 2008 when Pia got it, and I really thought that I should have gotten instead of Tom Samani, not because Tom isn't an outstanding coach. He is an outstanding coach. But I was so in tune to where that team was and where that team, uh, what that team needed. Um, but, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, Jill uh, has done a very good job. Uh, I think, you know, the dichotomy of soccer is that, I liked her Olympic team that came up short in the quarterfinals of the Olympics more than I liked the World Cup team. So that's a great indication of what she's doing as far as transforming that team, you know, that was led by Abby Wambach and Lauren Holiday and some of the others as they retired and bringing in some new young talent. I do like her current team. I think she's doing some very, very good things. And, you know, although I, Criticize her at times during the 2015 World Cup. Right now, I think she's uh, doing an outstanding job and 
deserves the mulligan of not uh, winning the Olympic gold medal this past summer. Well, that's well said. And one of the things that's helping her kind of recharge this team is the NWSL. Now, you know about the WSA, you're a part of it. You know about WPS, you're a part of it. Now the NWSL, entering its fifth year, is starting to churn out some new talent for the U.S. national team. Absolutely, Dean. I mean, there's no way we can be number one in the world if we just look at our youth national teams and look to get talent from them as they graduate from one youth team to another. Because all these players that graduate college, um, in the past when there was no league, they would either have to impress at that point or basically have a death sentence on their careers. Now with the league, they can emerge. Look at Allie Long. It's a great story. Uh, she, she has, In her you know, mid to late 20s, she gets her shot, ends up starting every game in the Olympics. That's because of the league and her own persistence and her own dedication to when she got her chance, she was ready for it. So the league is incredibly important. My concerns with the league, and I, and I think it's done a great job, fifth year, about to begin. Um, my concerns with the league is too many players are retiring that are very, very good players. Some of my U-20s, such as Nikki Washington, now is the coach at the University of Washington, assistant coach at the University of Washington under Leslie Gallimore. Uh, Keegan Keelan Winters, captain of the Seattle Reign, has had to retire uh, because they're just not making enough money. Becky Edwards with Orlando Pride just retired. And so my concern is whether they would ever get to the full team or not is that they were training the young players coming into the league about professionalism, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the league has to take the next step, and that's better salaries for the players. Those are fair concerns. Let's move to college soccer now. The parity, better than it's ever been. Anson Dorrance continues to be very outspoken in the quality that, uh, and really the role that college soccer plays, not just for our national team, but for so many national teams around the world. Yet, uh, you know, he's concerned about some other things that are happening as far as, uh, you know, what happened with the U20 World Cup and U.S. soccer's role in that, and then also the academy versus ECNL. Let's first talk about uh, where you see college soccer fitting in on the women's game. Well, college soccer is still an important piece of our developmental scheme, but it isn't everything. And you know, even in 2008, and I coached on, on the men's side. I was part of the coaching staff for the men's U20 World Cup. Um, and back then, we used to say, um, look at the difference between our college kids and these young professionals from these other countries. In 2008, for the first time, I felt that same thing, is that our college kids were um, below the sophistication level of these kids the same age from France or Germany or you know Japan. And that was kind of a surprise for me. So even back then I said, we cannot think that we can just rely on the college game. We need to get these players better youth environments. Um, and uh, the college game is still important. And as you said, it's important for many countries that send their kids uh, to our colleges. Um, but it can't do it all by itself. We really need a higher level youth development organization. All right, Christian Labor's going to be on. He's done a great job with ECNL. You know what's going on now with U.S. soccer. Again, Anson's been a little bit outspoken, even about uh, one of his former players in April Heinrichs, about, hey, why do we got to blow all of this up? What's your take on where that sits, Tony? Well, I have a couple thoughts on it. I, I agree with um, Anson uh, because we're so much alphabet soup in this country. Even though I'm in the sport, I could not tell you all the women, the girls' leagues and women's leagues that are taking place. But at the same time, the youth development organizations over the years have used political blackmail, if you will, to make it hard for U.S. soccer to do exactly what they wanted. Now, U.S. soccer has some blame here as well. So I think U.S. soccer, as, as um, we've seen with the Boys Academy, eventually said, okay, we're just going to create our own thing. We're going to look to develop elite players for our national team. And now they're doing the same thing with the women. But 
what we're doing um, is just spreading out our players. Look, there were so many things wrong with ODP, but when I look back at it, 90% of all the best players came out of club and they went to ODP, and we could watch them there. Now we've got ODP that still will have a player or two or six that we need to see. we got ECNL. We've got the Girls Academy coming up. Our players are not only spread as far as identifying them, but the best players are not training against the best players and they're not competing against the best players. So I'm not sure I would have done a Girls Academy, to be perfectly honest with you. I think what the ECNL was doing was good. It probably needed more support from U.S. soccer and maybe um, more guidelines on how U.S. soccer wanted things to uh, be handled. But, Dean, I'll go back to Project Gold, which I turned in along with my assistant coaches, Lauren Gregg and Jay Hoffman, back in 1999. And in that proposal to keep us winning and being the best, I suggested that the regional head coaches of ODP were full-time U.S. soccer employees. And, um, you know, and I still think that something like that needs to be done because, you know, Dean, you may be more versed than I am on the boys' side, but our, is our academy, other than, other than the MLS academies, are our academies really – not, not academies, those are developmental academy really bringing the next Landon Donovan, you know, Clint Dempsey. Uh, are those players emerging from the current developmental academy structure set up by U.S. soccer? I'm not sure. Um, and I'm wondering if we're going into the same question mark with, with the girls' academy. Well, and I think uh, Anson and other coaches are wondering that as well. Circling back to the U.S. Women's National Team mo- moving forward, you gave that mulligan, so next World Cup around the corner. Can the USA win it again back-to-back? I, I think we can because I think the nucleus of team is very good. Yes, some of the players will be aging, but it doesn't need you know six or eight new players. It needs one or two or three, and we've already seen Joe do pretty good job of finding some of those players. So I think we are going to remain number one or certainly number two in the world going into the next World Cup. My concern is is that our youth national teams, both the U-17s and the U-20s, were not only, you know, they failed to reach medals, but we were outclassed. We were outclassed. Uh, in both, well, the 17s didn't get out of group play. The U20s got to semifinals. But except for the New Zealand game, we were outshot in every game by quite a bit. You know, Mexico outshot us 15 to 4. Uh, I mean, so what's happening there? I don't know. And as I said earlier, my U20 team, we beat France. Many of the top uh, national French players played on that team. We beat them 3 0. We beat England 3 0. We beat Germany 1-0, but it wasn't that close. We beat North Korea 2-1. They scored on the last kick of the game. We dominated those teams. And now we're not dominating teams. We're surviving. And I'm saying, you know, we're not. These countries aren't catching up. They have blown by us. There were six teams that I think might have been better in the U-20 World Cup than the USA. So we all need to question what U.S. soccer is doing, what April Heinrichs is doing. Because after five or six years on the job, I don't think we should be seeing this. I think we, we need to be still among the best in the world at the U-20 level. U-17 is a little bit different, but the first U-17 World Cup, Lucas Tombi is uh, the coach. We lost in the finals to New Zealand. That was 2008. Since then, we haven't qualified into meaning out of CONCACAF, or we haven't got out of group play into. That is just not good enough for the USA. Tony DeChico, never shy, always enlightening. Everybody's healthy. Everybody knows you're more than a goalkeeper coach, but you also are a specialist in goalkeepers. Everybody's healthy, okay, including Hope Solo. Who's your goalkeeper? I think a listener right now, and, and there's a couple reasons. One is, you know, Alyssa might not have the presence 
or the organizational skills yet of Hope Solo, who's one of the best, maybe the best ever who's played the position. But she brings other other things to the game. I actually think she might be a better shot saver than than Hope because Alyssa was on that U twenty team. Unbelievable her ability to save shots. But if you watch Alyssa, one of the qualities she has is a great throw. And we know the Hope's had a bad shoulder. Uh, doesn't throw the ball anymore. She rolls it out. But Alyssa has a great release that starts counterattacks. And, you know, she's only going to get better. And Hope, even if she's healthy when she comes back, is getting towards the end of her career. So I think right now you need to invest in the younger goalkeepers. You have a few years to develop. Uh, Alyssa, Ashlyn Harris is not far off. And there's a couple other really good young ones. I'd like to see Abby Smith played for the Boston Breakers last year, did her ACL, obviously, in the beginning of the season, get a shot. A shot. Jane Campbell's another one that should get a shot, and a few others. All right, Tony, um, speaking of health, you're not feeling so well right now, so we want to get you better. But where does Tony DeChico, what's he want to be doing next? Uh, staying in the booth, or do you want to get back out on the field? Yeah, I said that I would like to get another coaching gig in. Um, you know, I've had a couple of opportunities with the NWSL, um, but, you know, now at, at my age, my stage, it's got to be right for my wife and I. And um, so hopefully uh, one will surface. We've also looked at a couple of international positions. Um, so, But I, I still think that I've grown as a coach. I'm a better coach now than I was in 99 or in 2008. And, um, you know, I'd like the chance to work with the team again. And your message for everybody attending the convention who will be listening to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, get to as many sessions as you can. Take notes. Not only look at the X and O's on the field, but look at how coaches um, get players to respond. And because uh, there's going to be tremendous coaching styles through the many different countries and the nationalities that will be presented. But there'll be great information get to uh, some of the classroom and lecture sessions and, and, and have fun because it's a great event. It's it's unique event. It's a one-of-a-kind event, and L.A. is a great venue for it. Tony DeChico, the head coach of that wonderful 99 U.S. World Cup winning team and then 96 Olympics and also won a U-20 World Cup down in Chile and Great on television as well. Tony, always fun spending time with you. Get well. Thanks for being with us. So, you know, even though you're not in L.A., you are via this podcast, so we appreciate it. Okay, Dean. Thanks for uh, making me part of the event. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Now we're pleased to be joined with perhaps the all-time good guy with the NSCAA, a true gentleman, Ralph Polson, former president of the NSCAA. And Ralph, you bleed it, right? You believe in this organization in a big, big way. Oh, it, most definitely. Uh, I've been a member since 1983, and this actually, this convention will be my 34th consecutive. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited uh, to be in L.A. Uh, the last time we were on the West Coast was 1995 when we were in Santa Clara, and uh, so I'm really excited to uh, to enjoy uh, Southern California. Listen, you're a big-time family man. You talk about it a lot, even in, during your presidency. You talked about the support of your family. Your son played for you at Wofford College as well, and then the NSCAA is kind of an extended family. No question. Uh, you know, my, my time with the NSCAA uh, dates back to 1995 when I joined my first committee. I became part of the... Uh, the uh, All-America Committee, and uh, through the years with that, uh, have just have gotten involved uh, as a member of the Executive Committee. Uh, one of the hardest things I did was when I stepped down, my last meeting as, uh, uh, as a member of the Executive Committee was my year as the uh, immediate past president, and that was one of the hardest uh, meetings for me. Um, I had the opportunity to close the meeting. Uh, to make the motion to close the meeting. But before that, uh, I had a few words to speak. And uh, unfortunately, uh, couldn't get through it. Those that know me wear, I know that I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And, and uh, it was a very uh, tearful 
uh, emotional uh, final words as a, as a member of the executive committee. So this is this this organization has done so much for me, and and uh, uh, and I think anybody that's been involved with the organization can 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 say the same thing and should should feel that way that it uh, is a very uh, important part of their uh, their their time in the in the sport of soccer. You're in the great pipes of Ralph Polson, head coach at Wofford College, longtime activist and active member of the NSCAA, as we said, a former president. Ralph, what are you looking forward to in L.A. this week? I know you're already there. What are you going to be doing? I've been going through the schedule trying to decide which, which sessions I want to attend. And, and I, would, I would recommend to anyone that's coming to take time, go to the App Store, download the uh, NSCA L.A. Convention app, uh, you can set up your schedule. You can mark the uh, the uh, sessions that you want to attend. You can even put uh, reminders, alert reminders on there. And that's what I've kind of been work, trying to work through. I've got a, a number of meetings I have to attend and, and uh, then trying to figure out which sessions I can uh, attend as well. But this app is unbelievable. Uh, I, I, I'm really blown away uh, by uh, the things that you can do with it and, and uh, gives you a chance to link your uh, – your, um, social media accounts to it so that as you post things then then they'll they'll show up in there as well and you will receive comments from others some people i don't know that uh some from friends and some people that i don't know and hopefully when i leave the convention they will be friends ralph polson head coach at wofford college and ralph hopefully you tuned into one or two of the nsca college soccer podcast we've switched over now to the nsca podcast with a heavy convention theme and of course men's college soccer has been featured prominently in those first 16 shows and pretty much the other three as well leading up to this one because they're really pushing hard sasha sarosky bob butehorn several other coaches for the full academic year soccer season your take on that subject well, I'm, I'm in I'm in full support of it. Uh, I think when you when you talk about the welfare of the student athlete, uh, it's a no brainer. Uh, this the the year long season. Uh, now you're talking about playing essentially once a week. Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, no midweek games. Uh, so you're talking about miss less miss class. I had the opportunity several years ago to be part of a soccer symposium that was. Uh, hosted by the NCAA Sports Science Institute. And th- these are some of the things that we talked about. Uh, we talked about uh, from the standpoint of, of allowing these kids to be students. Uh, but, but even more, when you look at uh, recovery time uh, between matches, um, you know, even now you're playing, you know, the early part of the season, we all seem to play these weekend tournaments where we're playing a Friday, Sunday. But if you're playing Friday evening and, and, and then playing again Sunday afternoon, the, 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 you're not obviously you're not receiving the, the an adequate amount of recovery time. But with our schedule the way it is, uh, you've got you know 20 matches and you've got 12 weeks. It makes it difficult to to spread things out so that you allow for a proper recovery time. The second thing I think is a big key is is uh, uh, time loss injuries. Uh, most time loss injuries are going to be are going to be 10 to 14 days of, of missed activity. With the current schedule, uh, you're gonna you're gonna you could miss up to four matches. Well, of a, of a twenty of a, you know of twenty of those, uh, you're missing almost a fifth of your season. Uh, with the new uh, with this extended uh, season, this year long season, you take ten to fourteen days, and now the likelihood it could be that you may only miss one match. Um, so I, I think there are a lot, there are a lot of benefits to it. Um, uh, I, I like I say I'm in full support of it. Uh, I still have some questions in terms of you know I mean uh, re, you know what it's going to do to our recruiting calendar, um, how how you know transfers will be handled, some of those things. But but all in all, I think uh, I think the model that's been put forth uh, is a good one and one that will uh, will help the uh, help our student athletes, but also help the sport grow in this country. Well said. All right, Friday night bow tie, Ralph. Uh, that's a special night for you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll hit definitely at the awards bank. We'll have a bow tie. You know, it's a southern thing, and then something I enjoy uh, enjoy wearing. I do want to give it a shout out for one other event that's taking place. One of my uh, many hats that I wear. Um, I've been involved with the uh, Walt Chiswick Memorial Fund since 2004. Uh, this year, uh, we have our uh, annual award ceremony and reception on Saturday. It's actually uh, it's being sponsored by the LA Galaxy. 
Uh, it'll take place Saturday at 4 o'clock uh, in the Platinum Ballroom uh, at the JW Marriott. Uh, Jay Hoffman will receive the award. He'll be the 22nd recipient. But something we've added this year, uh, Jay will receive the Walt Chiswick's Lifetime Achievement Award, but we have now created uh, the Walt Chiswick's Distinguished Play and Career Award. And this year, in the inaugural year, the recipient will be Landon Donovan. Wow. Always exciting to have Landon Donovan around. Uh, that was great uh, last time he was at the convention. That's, you know what? We're all about shout-outs on this show, so we'll let it go, <laughs> Ralph. That's a good one right there. Well, you know, it's, it's an open invitation. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, come, come enjoy uh, uh, some, some, uh, some food and refreshment and, and uh, what I think will be a very – very special program this year. Ralph Polson, as I said, one of the all-time good guys in soccer, good guys with the NSCAA, good guys with college soccer as well. Ralph, thanks for being on the NSCAA podcast, and we'll see you in L.A. All right, Dean. Take care. Thank you. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. What a great show as we get you set for the 2017 NSCA convention. Lynn Berlin Manuel, the CEO, got us started. Amanda Vandervoort, the outgoing president for the NSCAA. How about Tony DeChico? He's not shy about anything, answering every question we posed at him, and he wants to coach again. And then the all-around good guy, Ralph Polson, breaking down college soccer and his love for the NSCAA. Now we're going to move it to youth soccer and one of the biggest movers and shakers in the youth game particularly on the girls' side, but really both, is Christian Lavers. He is a vice president with U.S. Club Soccer, but he's also the president of the ECNL, which has been in the news as well, and he's going to be a featured speaker as well at the 2017 convention in L.A. Christian, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about it. All right, first, we've got to sell the convention. Tell us the sessions you're doing, when they are, and what you're covering. Sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm speaking in the uh, women in soccer uh, event that's actually being hosted today this afternoon, uh, which is the which is I think before the offens- uh, convention officially kicks off. But then uh, we have uh, I'll be a part of a lead of play topic uh, that Dave Nearberry and the special topics people at the NSCAA have put together, uh, talking about what speed of play really means and uh, how to teach it at different age groups and. We're looking at it from the context of being a little bit more about efficiency of, of play and deciding when to be fast and when, when maybe to slow the game down. But there'll be two field sessions and a uh, lecture on that. And then, uh, obviously, I'll be uh, on a panel discussing the role of, uh, role of development academies or in, in youth soccer in the United States, which I'm sure will be of interest to a lot of different people because there's a lot of different opinions uh, on that topic circulating around the U.S. right now. Well, you know it. Uh, Anson Dorrance has been on this show talking about it. Tony DeChico also said that uh, perhaps he gave his opinion U.S. soccer should perhaps stay out of it because the ACNL is running well or at least try to unify. Christian, let's go deeper with that because that will be a session that I think people will be outside trying to peek in, right? It's one of those peek-in sessions where it's standing room only. Give us your take. I know that uh, from what I understand, you wanted to work together with U.S. soccer and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, well, we we had some discussions with them about a year ago about uh, what they were planning uh, to do and what they were intending to do with with their Development Academy program. And in those discussions, it was pretty clear that there wasn't going to be a lot of room uh, for for cooperation or some type of uh, collaborative effort. Um, and, and again, that's their that's their right to choose what to do with their programming. And uh, so we we've moved forward uh, with with the ECNL in a lot of the uh, same spirit and uh, energy that we've had since the founding in 2009. And so uh, while we're always open for the discussion of, of how to work together, and I think Anson and, and Tony have been bi- uh, big uh, proponents of collaboration and, and bringing the, the leadership and resources from all sorts of areas of soccer together. Uh, at this point, we're, we're kind of just running different programs, and, and our focus is on the ECNL, and we believe very, very strongly in the, the philosophy behind the league, the structure of the league, and, 
and the mission of the league to, to make the game better, and we're going to continue doing that for, for a long time. Addressing, though, points of consternation as you push forward and they push forward, some clubs are going to have to make a choice, right? That makes it tough, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm a big proponent of choice. Uh, I think that you know, people being able to make decisions for what's best for them and their players and their clubs and teams is, is really important. I think when you have a variety of different uh, perspectives and backgrounds and philosophies, you actually end up driving improvement forward a lot more than if we're all uh, marching in line to the same exact uh, vision or, or uh, methodology all the time. So, you know, clubs, clubs making choices as to where they think is the best place for their players to develop uh, is, is a reality of the landscape that we're in. And, you know, the negative to that in some degree is, is obviously there will be uh, a little bit of a, uh, a watering down or a destabilization of what really has been a fantastically unified platform in a lot of ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I said, cho- choice is something that we live in the United States of America, and I think we, we have to respect that club leaders will, will make choices based on what they think is best. And why, as you did say, hey, you're still open to collaboration, and I believe you. Knowing you, uh, the time I spent with you calling an ECNL championship game, I definitely believe you, and I've read what you're saying as well. So I know that you'll be open to that. But in the meantime, why not both choices? Why does it got to be one or the other? You know, that, that I don't have a good answer for. Um, you know, I think there's probably some areas where there's a lot of philosophical uh, agreement uh, uh, between you know, people on different sides of the issue. But, you know, you know, soccer people as well as anybody, if you put 10 people in a room, you're going to get 10 different opinions on, on certain issues. And our perspective is that that, uh, that debate and discussion and argument uh, is important and that that's where you come up with better ideas and that we have to be uh, encouraging of the, whether you call it the dissenting opinion or a differing opinion, or maybe it's just a different perspective or a different background. Um, but, you know, not everybody, not everybody uh, supports that type of perspective. Uh, but that's one of the things the league has been based on. I mean, when we formed the league in 2009, you know, everybody said it would be impossible to get the type A personalities, big clubs, clubs from one coast to the to another to agree on anything, much less to, you know, agree to work together and, and make some compromises. And yet that's, that's what we've done. And uh, I think we've done it pretty successfully. And, and in doing so, we've raised a lot of standards in the games. And, and, and that's happened by understanding that you got to get people in a room and hear them out. And, and you change people's opinions uh, with education and discussion. Uh, you don't change opinions and behaviors with rules and regulations, in our opinion. That's uh, a quick fix that really just puts a Band-Aid on an issue. What you really need to do to raise standards and improve anything is, uh, is give people time to wrestle with it, give people resources to learn from, give people role models. And that's what we've tried to do in the league. And uh, that's the perspective and philosophy that we take on all of our, all of our decisions on, on what's going to happen on the field. Christian, with or without the support of U.S. soccer, the ECNL has been great because why? I think because we've really embraced the experience and opinions of the people that are in the grassroots and that are working with these players every single day. And, you know, there, there, are, there are great coaches, there's average coaches, there's coaches that we, we, we think could be better. And at some stage, we've all been in that perspective, uh, in those positions ourselves as coaches. I mean, I get on the field every day. And some days go well and some days don't. And then I look back five years and say, man, I, I, I could have done better five years ago. Or I wish I would have known then what I know now. But I think what we've done really effectively is having, having all had the background of working with these 12, 14, 17-year-old players and their families and their real environment, understanding what's working, what's not working, where there's areas of opportunity where there's problems that we need to find solutions to, and then getting a lot of different perspectives on what those solutions are or ways to fix different problems or, or, or make the game better, and then always being open to feedback. I mean, every, every year of the league, we've changed. Either we've changed some structures or we've added programs or we've changed uh, certain requirements based on what the people who are in the field every day working with these kids say 
this this needs to happen to to make the experience better. So, in one word, I would say what's made us great is that collaborative spirit or that collaboration. Well, speaking of that, we know that, as we've already said, we're expecting standing room only for that panel. But we also suspect, based on the nature of the NSCA, there could be a lot of backroom meetings as well behind closed doors. Are you anticipating that uh, happening as uh, perhaps a, an olive branch from U.S. soccer, or are you not anticipating that? Uh, well, I don't. we don't have any uh, secret keys to any secret doors <laughs> at this point, but uh, we're always, always open for discussion and, and uh I think at the end of the day, we we all would like to see the game get better. We'd like to see the the, the national teams succeeding at the highest level. We'd like to see the professional league succeeding and playing great soccer with more and more players able to play at that level. Uh, to me, the way to do that is to find a way to bring all the different perspectives and organizations and constituents into the room and to build something together, uh, recognizing that everybody's going to have a slightly different perspective. Um, and I hope we can do that. And we're always open for conversations that uh, that that will lead to that. And in the meantime, we're going to do the best job we can do to make sure that the ECNL stays as the best league in the world, uh, and that we get better every every year, that we add more programming every year, and that uh, our players that are having a fantastic experience every year that they play in the league. Also, give me your perspective on high school soccer. Sure. I, that, that's a very difficult topic, um, and there's a, a, another bunch of hot-button opinions on it. But I would say generally that it's not our position as, as coaches to tell players what they must or must not do with respect to where they play soccer. Uh, there's pros and cons to every type of soccer, and every whether it's the coaches, there's pros and cons of different coaches. There's pros and cons of different clubs and high school soccer there's pros and cons to compared to club soccer so uh, i think it's really up to the players on where they want to play and then it's our job as coaches to make sure that they're fully informed about those pros and cons and that we do the best thing we can to create the best possible environment for them when they're playing with us but you know i find it very difficult to say to a player that you absolutely cannot play uh, high school soccer in order to be called a great player or to be told, told that you want to be a great player. Um, are there a lot of, are there places where not playing would be better for you developmentally? Uh, yes, that's true. But I've coached players that are now in the NWSL that played high school soccer. And for them, uh, for some of them, it was a good experience and it was something that was important for them. I've coached a lot of players that have gone on to high levels that have, that have not played high school. So I think that's an issue that really is best left to the clubs and the coaches and the players themselves to work out rather than mandating and prohibiting. But that's also another big disconnect as part of this push toward collaboration, right? You know, and that's an area where that's one example of an area where I think there's real philosophical different opinions. And again, that having these different perspectives and opinions and then talking about them, I think is really important if you're, if you're going to build something that's going to be successful for the long term and that's going to embrace uh, as many players as possible. Because at the end of the day, if, if, if you look at American soccer, you want great players at the top, and I don't think anybody really cares where they come from. You won't care if they play in this league or that league or if they played multiple sports or only played soccer or, or where they live. All you care about is that they're great soccer players, that they are better than the soccer players in the previous generation because hopefully they've had a better environment with better coaches and more resources. And at the end of the day, uh, we need to find ways to create that type of platform. And and the best way to do it is when everybody's pulling in the same direction. But philosophical differences uh, can sometimes slow that down, especially if there's not the patience to work through them. All right, last thing, Christian. I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yesterday I emceed the press conference announcing the North Carolina Courage. I also happen to be sitting in a place where Anson Dorrance has won 22 titles. Robbie Church was in the national championship just a couple years ago. NC State made a great run. I would believe a lot of those players have played in the ECNL. I would tell you that I, a lot of them would have. I think we had uh, 84 players in the Final Four of college soccer this year. Um, and the, the numbers in the Power Five are are fantastic and, and increasing every year. I think it was almost 1,300 alumni this year in Power 5 college soccer, and you're talking about a hotbed of soccer in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the surrounding area. So that's, that's an, exciting, an exciting thing for uh, those players at every level. 
Well, we thank uh, you for all you've done to help prepare those players as well with the ECNL. And we thank you for being open to talking about this issue because it's out there. You know it. You're, you know, a part of it as well. And, uh, you know, look, I think uh, all of us that love college soccer and professional soccer, that love the women's game, the girls' game, are pulling for some sort of collaboration so that we can unify and move forward, Christian. Thanks for all you do. Well, I appreciate it, Dan, and thank you for having me on. I enjoy it. Wow, did we ever enjoy it as well. Christian Lavers, the president of the ECNL, also not afraid to answer the tough questions as part of this final podcast, getting you up to speed on the NSCA convention. I want to thank Lynn Berling Manuel, the CEO of the NSCAA, for welcoming everybody to the 2017 convention in Los Angeles. The outgoing president of the NSCA, Amanda Vanderbord. How about the legendary head coach, Tony DeChico? He led the USA to the 1999 World Cup. I want to thank Ralph Polson as well, the all-around good guy and head coach of Wofford College. And you just heard Christian Lavers. For everybody at the NSCAA, I'm Dean Linke. Hope to see you in Los Angeles at the convention. Say hello if you see me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And thanks to the NSCAA. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.